0: We are going to continue on in our, our study in the uh, second Timothy this morning, if you want to turn in your Bibles there. Before we uh, get into our text, I want to read to you a portion of Scripture out of Philippians chapter 2. Uh, this was uh, one of Paul's, uh, known as one of Paul's prison epistles. Remember, Paul had two Roman imprisonments. The first one uh, where he wrote Galatians, Philippians, uh, Ephesians, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, and Colossians are referred to as the prison epistles. And one of the things that he wrote about his son in the faith, Timothy, is in chapter 2, verse 19. He says, But I trust in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you shortly that I also may be encouraged when I know your state. For I have no one like-minded who will sincerely care for your state. For all seek their own, not the things which are of Christ Jesus. But you know Timothy's proven character. That as a son with his father, he served me in the Gospel. Therefore, I hope to send him at once As soon as I see how it goes with me, but I trust in the Lord that I myself shall also come shortly. Paul and Timothy, this relationship, this ministry relationship that they had with one another, is very evident in the Word of God. It's whatever, it's every pastor's dream, really, to have a Timothy. To have that person in his life that he can trust, that he can count on, that has a proven character. And Timothy was that person for the Apostle Paul. And it's important for us to, when we look at people in Scripture, to be able to say, you know what, I would like to aspire to be like that. To be a person that somebody might write something of me like that. Not for my glory, but for God's glory. That my character and who I am and and my uh, commitment to the cause of Christ, that it would be evident. That's what Timothy was to the Apostle Paul. We come to the second chapter of 2 Timothy this morning, and I titled this morning's message, The Soldier, The Athlete and the farmer. These are three, if you want to say, pictures that the Apostle Paul gave us in this second chapter that I think give us an understanding of ministry. Ministry is hard. Just even as Scott shared what, what David said, ministry is hard work. Taking this Gospel out into a a world without Christ is not an easy task. It has all of its hardships that come along with it. Planting a church has many difficulties and hardships that come along with it. Going into the mission field has its hardships and difficulties. But we're all called as Christians whether we stay or whether we go, to engage within this, we'll call it warfare. We'll call it this battle that we've all entered into the day we gave our life to Christ. I think we need to open this morning in prayer. Father, we come before You this morning. And Lord, we desire, Father, for You to do a new work in our hearts this morning to change us. Lord, to challenge us in our walks. Challenge us in our commitments to You and to the furtherance of the Gospel. Lord, You've saved us. But You want so much more, Lord, from us than than just to, to say that I'm saved, Lord. You want us to follow after You, to serve You, and to serve one another. You've called us, Lord, to go out into this world and make disciples. And Lord, I pray, Lord, that You would work a fresh work in our hearts this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 1-7 to 7 is our text this morning. Let's read it together. You therefore, my son, he's speaking of Timothy, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And the things that you have heard from me among many witnesses... Commit these to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. You, therefore, must endure hardship as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. No one engaged in warfare entangles himself with the affairs of this life that he may please him who enlisted him as a soldier. And also, if anyone competes in athletics... He is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. The hard-working farmer must be first to partake of the crops. Consider what I say and may the Lord give you understanding in all things. As I shared and as it's been said, ministry is not easy. Paul and Timothy had experienced many hardships together in ministry. Paul was coming to the end of his race in this second letter to Timothy. His time of departure from this earth to go home to be with the Lord was at hand. Timothy, though, would also be a martyr for his faith. History tells us that in the year 97 A.D. at the age of 79 to 80 years old, Timothy tried to halt a a procession of honor for the goddess Diana. And he was preaching. He came in there preaching the Gospel when he saw this multitude honoring the goddess Diana. And we read that an angry mob began to beat Timothy. They drug him through the streets of the city and they took him outside the city and they stoned him to death. That was 10-12 to years after the martyr of the Apostle Paul. You see, none of us are guaranteed when our day will come. I think we all know that. It's appointed unto man once to die, and then the judgment. We will all stand before Christ. We just don't know how we're going to depart this life. But what we do know is that we're called to run this race. We're called to fight the fight. We're called to, to remain in this battle until the Lord comes back. There's many blessings that come along with it. As you serve the Lord faithfully, God will bless you. And it'll and the hardships, the love, never outweigh the blessings. It'll always be a greater blessing if you remain faithful to the Lord. Paul in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 8, he wrote this way about the sufferings in ministry. He says, For we do not want you to be ignorant, brethren. He's writing to Christians. He says, I don't want you to be ignorant of this, that our trouble which came to us in Asia, that we were burdened beyond measure. Think of those words. Burdened beyond measure. We were burdened above strength, he went on to say. So that we despaired even to life. Yes, we had a sentence of death in ourselves that we should not trust in ourselves, but in God who raises the dead. We had a sentence of death in ourselves. And then it goes on to say, who delivered us from so great a death and does deliver us in whom we trust He will and still shall deliver us you also, he's speaking to the Christians there, you help together by praying for us that thanks may be given by many persons on behalf for the gift granted to us through many of your prayers. Paul was thankful. Ministry was hard. He knew that it was the prayers of the saints that enabled him to endure. He knew that Even in all of His hardships and all of this uh, being uh, despairing even to life, that God allowed it. You see, God allows suffering in our life. God allows hardships in ministry. He allows the difficult times to come in our lives. Why? That we wouldn't trust in ourselves, but we'll keep our trust in the living God. It's where He wants us to keep our focus. Trusting in Him. The One who raised Jesus Christ from the dead. Put your confidence in Him. He will deliver you. He always does. That's what Paul was confident of. Listen to how the Phillips paraphrase translation gives to verse 8. He says, "...at that time we were completely overwhelmed." The burden was more than we could bear. In fact, we told ourselves that this was the end. I mean, this was desperate. This was like, and this is ministry. This wasn't like, you know, they were just having some difficulties because their car broke down. I mean, this was ministry and this was desperate times for the Apostle Paul and Timothy. The backdrop for this second letter to Timothy was Paul exhorting his son in the faith to keep fighting the good fight. He told Timothy in many words, ministry is not going to be easy, Timothy. Timothy, you need to endure hardships as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. Timothy, uh, I want to liken the ministry like an athlete who needs to compete by the rules. Timothy, I want to liken ministry like a a hard-working farmer. And also like a prisoner in chains for the truth of the Gospel like a workman that's been approved of God, like a vessel made for honor for his Master, like a bondservant of the Lord. We're going to see all of these illustrations, these pictures, in this second chapter of Timothy. Sounds fun, doesn't it? Ministry. Wow, you want to get on board? You want to be involved in ministry? Read. Those descriptions. We finish chapter 1, verse 12 with Paul exhorting Timothy to remain loyal to the faith. Look what it says in verse 12. For this reason I also suffer these things. Nevertheless, I'm not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed, and I am persuaded that He is able to keep what I have committed to Him until that day. Timothy? Hold fast the pattern. That word pattern is, can actually be translated hold fast the outline, Timothy. Hold fast the sketch. That, those sound words which you heard from me. What I first brought to you, Timothy, when I led you to Christ, began to disciple you in the things of God. Hold fast to that outline that I gave you, Timothy. Don't depart from that outline. He says, do this in faith and love which are in Christ Jesus. That good thing, speaking about the Gospel which was committed, that was entrusted to you, Timothy, keep guard by it. Keep guard over it by the Holy Spirit that dwells in you, Timothy. And this you know, Timothy, that all those in Asia have turned away from me. Ministry is hard. The people sometimes that you think are the closest to you, the ones that you think would never walk away, they do. They depart. And that is probably, for many people in ministry, the hardest part of ministry. It's one thing to have it from the outside. It's another thing to have it from the inside. To have it from those people that you have ministered with. He says, this you know, that all those in Asia have turned away from Me, among whom are pergelous and Hermogenes." Timothy, not all will remain faithful. Some are going to turn away. He's telling Timothy that. He's letting him know that. Timothy already found that out. But he's reminding Timothy to remain faithful even when those that you thought were with you, turn away. The Lord grant mercy to the household of Oniferous for He often refreshed me. Paul says there's always that glimmer. There's always that person in your midst. That one that stays. That one that remains. That one that's that refresher in ministry. Oniferous, he was that man. He sought me out zealously when I was in Rome and in prison. He found me. And the Lord grant to him that he might find mercy in that day. Paul was commending. He was speaking about the two that walked away, but commending another one who remained faithful, who zealously sought him out to refresh Paul. Paul now in this second chapter is going to give us Seven illustrations to exhort Timothy to stay in the race. The first is the soldier, then the athlete, then the farmer, then the prisoner, the workman, the vessel, and the bondservant. Seven illustrations. We're just going to look at three of them this morning. Look at your Bibles chapter 2, verse 1. You, Timothy, therefore my son... Uh, he calls him a son here. As he does quite often. Which tells me of this relationship that Paul had with Timothy. It's like a father with his own son. That there's this close relationship that Paul had with Timothy. Like a father to a son, Paul says to Timothy, Timothy, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Paul starts out by telling his son in the faith, Timothy, ministry is hard. It's going to be difficult. Timothy, you're going to need God's grace. Timothy, you need to draw upon this grace. You need to learn it. You need to know it. It's going to be this grace that's going to carry you in ministry. It's that grace that carries us in life, let alone ministry. We need God's grace. When Paul led Timothy to this saving knowledge of Jesus Christ, he became a son in the faith to Paul. And at the same time, when Timothy gave his life to Christ and was born again, he became a child of God. You see, you became a child of God. You became part of the family of God the day you gave your life to Christ. Isn't that incredible? And you took on all these characteristics of a family. Or at least you should. And you became an heir To all the family fortune. How do you like that one? The family fortune. It's all yours. And it was given to you the day that you accepted Christ. You're not earning it. You're not working for it. It's not something that you have to wait even till the future to get. As a matter of fact, you have every spiritual blessing in Christ Jesus here and now. It starts now. The family fortune. Has been given to you and I. Isn't it incredible? The relationship, the relationships that we have because of Christ. First with Him, can you wrap your head around the fact that you have a a literal relationship with the living God, the creator of the heavens and the earth, the one that spoke it into existence, and you have a Relationship with the living God that He calls you His child—that incredible. And then to be able to call each other brothers and sisters in Christ. Don't get weirded out by that. We're brothers and sisters in Christ. We have this working relationship with one another because of Him. How many of you would have hung out with each other outside of church? Say anything right? Not you. Not you. <laughs> But you know what? We hang out and we love one another because of Christ. He's the one that breaks down all the barriers and all the lines that this world puts up between race and between just different classes of people. And God breaks it all down and says you're all one in Christ. Incredible. Paul tells Timothy in verse 1, he says, be strong, Timothy. But he doesn't say to be strong in yourself, Timothy. Not in your own power. Not in your own strength. That will always fail you, church. If you try to do ministry in your own strength, if you try to walk your walk outside of Christ, say no to sin apart from the power of Christ, you'll fail. He tells Timothy, be strong, Timothy. The battle is real, Timothy. We're engaged in a warfare, Timothy. You need this grace. He says be strong, be empowered, be enabled, be strengthened inwardly, Timothy, in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. We need it. If you're going to walk away with anything today, understand that you need God's grace in your life. In simple terms, Paul is telling Timothy Timothy, put power on. You need this power of grace. You need it in your life. Just like you take and you know, you fill up your car with gas so that it'll keep going. We need God's grace in our life for that power. Listen to some of the other translations on this word, on this one verse. Be strong through the grace that is ours in union with Christ Jesus. Be clothed with inward strength. Find your strength in the grace which is in Christ Jesus. You must let Him make you strong. Be strong with the special favor God gives you in Christ Jesus. Be strong, strengthened inwardly in the grace, that spiritual blessing that is to be found only in Christ Jesus. How much grace did you need this week in your personal life, in your marriage, in your home, at work, Whatever situation you found yourself in, how much grace did you need from God? How much grace did you need this morning to get out of bed and to make it here to church? Just think of what your morning was like. You know, I woke up and the power was off. I think, oh no, you know, pastors get nervous when they got notes on a computer and there's no power. And I think, you know what? I've got to rely on Your power, not my notes. <laughs> but my power was up. God, Your grace. I started sitting upstairs with a lantern on and writing out some notes. Finally, the power came God said, "That's just just test. Just testing you. You're all right. You'll make it. How much grace did you need this morning? You see, understanding the power of grace our need for a growing grace, and also the steps of applying grace in your life. These are all areas that we need to grow in. We need to be reminded of. And we need to take steps of faith in exercising God's grace. The Greek word for grace is charis, which means favor. It means blessing and kindness that comes from God. It's used 148 times in Scripture. It can be defined as unmerited favor. Getting something that you don't deserve. Grace is always spoken of in Scripture as a gift from God to you. It's not something you earn. It's not something that God owes you. God gives it to you simply as a gift. Remember that Paul started both of these two letters, 1st and 2nd Timothy, with these three words. Grace, mercy, and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. If there's any three words that we need for ministry that Paul knew that Timothy needed for ministry, it was God's grace and God's mercy, and God's peace. How many of you need all three of those today? How many of you needed them last week? I mean, you know, we need those things in our life. God knows that. And He says, I want to give it to you. But are you taking it? Are you taking it to heart? Are you living in them? Are you receiving this grace and this mercy so that you can experience the peace of God in your life? You see, grace is different from mercy. Mercy is God not punishing us for our sins that we deserve. Mercy is God delivering us from judgment. That's God's mercy upon us. We should have died on the cross. We should have paid the ultimate price. And He took our place. God's mercy. Grace is God choosing to bless us rather than curse us as our sin deserves. He wants to bless you. Why? Why would God do that? Because He's a God of love. And out of that love comes this grace upon our lives. It's His benevolence towards you. When you're undeserving of it, grace is extending kindness to the unworthy. Do you see yourself that way? An unworthy sinner that just simply needs the grace and the mercy of God in my life? You know, I don't really have anything that I can give to God Give back to God for what He's done for me? Nothing. I can't give money. I can't give time. I can't do anything that really for what He's done for me. But if I give my life as a living sacrifice unto God, holy and acceptable, you know what God says? I love that. I receive that from you. Did you know that the first time we find grace in the Bible is in the first book of the Bible. In Genesis chapter 6, verse 5, we read this, Then the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every intent and thought of his heart was only evil continually. Sounds like today, doesn't it? And then it says, and the Lord was sorry that He had made man on the earth. And He was grieved in His heart. I don't know what that looks like for God to be grieved in His heart. That He had made man. So the Lord said, I will destroy man from whom I have created from the face of the earth, both man and beast, creeping creeping thing and birds of the air, for I am sorry that I have made them. And then out of all of that come these words. But Noah, I love this but, but Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. Wow. Just one man and his family. But Noah. How loving and how gracious and merciful is our God? That He would save one with His family. How gracious is He towards you? Loving towards you when He saved you. When you were running away from Him. When you said, I don't want anything to do with this Christianity. And He sought you out and He chased you down and He he called you and you were saved. Incredible grace. It was while you were in your sin. The second time that we see the word grace found in the Bible is in Exodus thirty-three, twelve. It was said this of Moses that Moses found grace in God's sight. The third time that we see the word grace used is in the book of Ezra. I gave a message on this a while back. Lord, would you revive me? Do you remember that message? Out of Ezra chapter 9. And it says in verse 8 For a little while grace has been shown from the Lord our God. Just for a little while. You see, there's periods of time that God pours out his grace, and then there comes a time where God must judge. God, would I be faithful? Would You be faithful during this short period of time? They you say you're born into this world and you might live until you're 100. And that's it. We have just this period of time to live for the Lord. To give our all to Him. To give back to Him what He has so blessed us with a short period of time that His grace is being extended. Grace came into this world when Jesus Christ became flesh. John 1.14 tells us, and the Word became flesh, that's Jesus, and dwelt among us. And we beheld His glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father. And then it says this, That He was full of grace and truth. Jesus Christ coming into a dark world. Coming on the scene full of grace and truth for a lost world. In verse 16, it says of the same chapter, and of His fullness we have all received grace for grace. Don't you like it? Grace for grace. For the law was given through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. Grace for grace. We also have received grace upon grace. Abundant grace from Him. And we receive it every day. Whether you acknowledge it or not, Quite often, God's grace is with you. And maybe more times, it's His mercies with you. But it's His mercy and His grace that He bestows upon us day in and day out. His mercies are new every day. The last time that we see this word grace used in the Bible, you know where it is? It's in the last book of the Bible, it's in the last verse of the Bible. Revelation chapter 22, verse 21. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen. That's how the Bible is closed out. It's closed out with grace. It began in grace. It's closed out in grace. Just like your salvation started with saving grace. And it'll be grace all the way through. you know why? Because there's also sanctifying grace in your life. And there's also that enabling grace or that serving grace that we need to do ministry when it's hard. To be able to to serve the Lord and to serve one another and needs that enabling grace from God. We don't become a Christian And then we start serving the Lord in our own effort and our own strength and our own abilities. If we do, it'll fail you. If you do, you'll realize, you know, I can't do this anymore. I tried being one of these Christians. I can't do it. You need to know His grace. And we're not talking about a grace that just lets me do whatever. Grace enables me to be able to go... God, if it weren't for Your grace and Your mercy in my I'd surely fall away. God, would You help me? Would You strengthen me by Your grace? You saved me by grace. And, and Lord, You need to sanctify me. God, I need Your sanctifying grace in my life. When I fail, when I trip, when I stumble, and I get back up again, it's Your grace, Lord. Again, Lord, again, you 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 pick me back up again at your grace, God. It starts with saving grace. God justified you. He declared you righteous. But then He also wants to sanctify you. He wants to do a work inside of you from the inside out. He wants the sanctification to happen in you, that's God's grace. And He does it very graciously with us. But He also wants to enable you to serve. He wants to give you that enabling grace. How many of you are serving in children's ministry here? How many of you are ushers? You know, How many of you are greeters here? How many of you go outside the walls? How many of you are teaching? How many all these various things can you do it apart from God's grace? You can't. You can't do it well. You can't do it in any way that would glorify God. We need His grace. This enabling grace. We might call it serving grace. It's the only thing that we have that enables us to do our ministry. In the midst of when ministry is hard, when it's difficult, it gives us the power. It gives us the strength to be able to press on when things are tough. To not give up. It gives us that enabling grace when we don't think we have it in us to do what God's called us to do. To use those gifts that God has gifted us with. When we think we're going to shrink back as a coward and not use the gift that God has enabled us to use, then we have to stand on His grace and say, God, I'm fearful to do this. I'm not one that can speak. I'm not one that can open my mouth and start initiating a conversation with somebody to share the Gospel. with them. But Lord, You told me You'll give me the words to speak in the moment that I need. It. So Lord, can I trust You with that enabling grace? I need to step out, so to speak, on the water and trust that Your grace will give me what I need to open my mouth. Paul wrote in Ephesians 3.7, He says, I became a minister according to the gift of the grace of God. That's how it happened. He gave it to me by the effective working of His power. It's not my power, it was His. To me, who am the least of all of the saints, he says, this grace was given. I'm the least, Paul says, of all of the saints. But this grace was given. That I should preach among the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. Paul was confident not in himself, but in the grace and the power that God had bestowed upon him. That's what you should rely upon. Not yourself. Not your abilities. Not how you think what you can or can't do, but God on your grace. It's only by God's grace that I became a pastor. It's by His grace that you became a Sunday school teacher. It's by His grace that you became an usher in this church. A youth leader. A worship leader. It's this grace that all of us need to do any ministry Effectively. Ephesians 4.7 says, but to each one of us, grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. The measure of Christ's gift. A gift to you. An enabling gift to you. A gift that you can use to His glory. The measure of Christ's gift. He chooses. The Holy Spirit chooses who He wants to impart His gifts to. Isn't it amazing that God would use any one of us? Wow! Why would He even use us? In all of our shortcomings, failures, and sin, He says, I want to use you. Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians 15.9, He says, I am the least of the apostles who are not worthy to be called an apostle. Because I persecuted the church of God. Remember his days before Christ? He went out to try and annihilate the Christians in the name of Judaism. He thought he was doing God a a service. I persecuted the church of God. I'm the least of all the apostles. But then he says this. It's another one of those buts. But by the grace of God, I am what I am, and his grace toward me was not in vain, but I labored more abundantly than they all. And then he says this Yet not I, yet it wasn't me, but the grace of God which was with me. You see, Paul knew that. It wasn't because he was, you know, some scholarly man, some great speaker. He says, I came into you with fear and meekness and fear and trembling. I didn't come with enticing words of men's wisdom, but in power and demonstration of the Holy Spirit. That's how I came preaching to you the Gospel. It was God's grace. It was God's power. It wasn't me. It was Him. I remember when I was asked to teach my first Bible study at a paper company that I worked at. Never taught the Bible. Never really even studied the Bible in the sense of preparing to teach. And I remember how intimidated I was. How fearful I was. I had to run to my grandfather who was a pastor and say, what do I do with this? You know, and I'm, I'm going to start teaching a Bible study. And all I knew was that I was intimidated by it, but I had a desire to do it and I was trusting that God was going to give me what I needed to do it. And you know what? He did. You see, that's where stepping out with grace. It means stepping out onto the water and then seeing God's grace as enabling grace in your life when you're willing to step out in it. When I went to the mission field, my first missions trip to the Philippines, I was asked to preach the Gospel in a jail cell to 25 inmates. Through a translator, by the way, which I'd never done before. I'm in this jail cell and preaching the Gospel to these inmates. God's grace. I was scared. I mean, just the thought of doing that. And then we jumped into a jeepney and drove out into the jungle about an hour ride out, and I went into a prison out there and stood in an open air area and gave a Bible study to 100 inmates through a translator, and I'd never done that before. How? God, I, I remember on that ride going out there, I was preparing my notes. I didn't even know I was going to be doing. It wasn't like I planned for months. God's enabling grace. God, I need Your power. I need your, your boldness. I need Your grace to be able to do this. And you know what? God did it. My flesh was saying, I can't do it. God's grace was saying, you can. And He did. When the Lord called me and my wife, my family to Wales in the UK to plant a church. I remember getting off the airplane at Heathrow Airport in London there, walking with all ten boxes on a cart, rolling it with my family there at my side. And I remember saying to Kathy, what have we done? What have we done? I remember thinking the same thought when I went back to California and then loaded up a year and a half later and made the 2,500 mile trek across the states here to North Carolina to plant a church. What are we doing? Why are we doing this again? It was difficult six years in the UK and then coming to North Carolina to plant the It's not an easy work. Ministry is hard. But you know what? I wouldn't trade it for anything because the blessings outweigh it. God's enabling grace. Jesus said to His disciples in John 15.5, He says, I am the vine. I'm the source. I'm the vine. You are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit. For with me, without me, excuse me, you can do nothing. Is that your motto for ministry? Apart from him, you can do nothing. You can't do it. You can't do it well without him. He's the source. He's the vine. I'm simply the branches. Verse 2, Paul first tells Timothy to be strong in the grace. Be strengthened by His grace. And then he tells Timothy to pass on to other faithful men the things that he himself had learned from Paul. I want you to pass it on. You see, we all have a heritage to pass on, don't we? Parents that are here, you got your kids. You know, those of us that are older, we look at the generation under us. And we all that generation looks at the generation under them. We all have a heritage. We all have something to pass on. And we're all called to do that. The things that the Lord has taught you and instructed you in are the things that you need to pass on to the next generation. What are we going to end up with when it's all said and done? What are we going to end up with with the generation that's under us? Are they going to come out stronger than our generation? Or are they going to come out weaker in faith? Weaker in their uh, uh, ability to go out and continue the work that God has called us to do? Is the church being dumbed down? Are we getting weaker? Or is the church growing stronger in these days? We all have to answer that. We all have been given that responsibility of passing down to the next generation. In a sense, Paul, as he's sitting in this prison cell waiting for his executioner, was writing out this last letter and telling Timothy of the important things for ministry. Timothy, the things that I have taught you, I want you to pass them on to faithful men so that they're going to pass it down to the next generation. And the furtherance of the Gospel and what we're called to do is going to continue, Timothy. Look at verse 2. The things that you, Timothy, have heard from me, among many witnesses, commit these to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. It's all about passing on the things that we've been taught. But it's also about finding those brothers and sisters in Christ who are faithful. You see, as Paul already said, you know that there are some that have departed. Not all have remained faithful. Not all have stayed in the race. Some have gotten sidetracked. Some got off court. But Timothy, you need to find those that are faithful. You need to find those that are trustworthy. Those that will continue to pass on and go out with the God and pass on to their generation under them. You see, every ministry Every Christian and every ministry should be preparing for the next generation. It's all about disciple making. You know, we're called to go out and to, to make disciples and to be, every ministry should be raising up somebody underneath them. Whoever heads that ministry up should be raising somebody up under them to take the lead when they're gone. And every ministry should be that way. When I leave this pulpit someday, I need to be raising somebody else to take it. The New Living Translation reads this way, You have heard me teaching many things that have been confirmed by many reliable witnesses. Teach these great truths to trustworthy people who are able to pass them on to others. Are you known to be trustworthy? Are you known to be faithful? When you say something, and when you do something, when you commit to something, people go so and so, and they said it's done. Faithful. You just know. Those are the people that they 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 stayed with you. They didn't. They weren't here for a flash in the pan, and then they're gone. Yeah, Yeah, I know. I got away for a while. Back again though. You know, I mean, that's. That's what makes ministry hard. Timothy, look for faithful, trustworthy people that you can pass on this heritage to that are going to continue to go forward with the Gospel. The ministry that we've been called to do. I want you to remember the circumstances in which Paul was writing this letter. He was waiting for his execution. This letter is not so much a theological statement as he's making this letter to Timothy, as it is a practical, heartfelt letter to a young man that he called his son in the faith. And he says, Timothy, I want this ministry of the Gospel, the furtherance of the Gospel to continue, Timothy, And I'm passing this on to you. And I want you to pass it on to others. Timothy, I want you to fight the good fight. I'm going to pass the baton to you, Timothy. My race is ending and I'm going to hand it off to you, Timothy, and you're going to continue to run. In a sense, that's what Paul is saying in this letter. You see, we all have this responsibility of making disciples. Jesus gave that Great Commission right before He ascended up into heaven, back from this earth back to heaven. He told His disciples, and He really only gave them one command in the Great Commission. Just one. He says, go and make disciples. Go preach the Gospel. Some of your translations read. But it's really saying, go make disciples. That's the command. And then baptize them. And then teach them to observe all that I have commanded you. And Jesus says to His disciples, and lo, I'm with you till the end of the age. Till the end of the world. Do you think that includes you and I? That He's with us until the end of the world? The disciples are not here today. Remember, they've already passed on. He's with you and I. Today till the end of the world. He's with us in this ministry of making disciples. I'll give you the grace. I'll give you the power. I'll give you the enablement to go do what I've called you to do. He never calls us to do something that doesn't give us the resources to do it. We have His Holy Spirit. We have His grace. We have His power. We have the love of God dwelling in us. We have the the simple Gospel message that can change a person's life. Go do it, but make them disciples. Train them. Teach them. Invest your time in them. This is how I would define discipleship. This This is how discipleship is completed. If you didn't know this, you can read lots of books on discipleship. You can find loads of them at the bookstore. How to make a disciple. What is discipleship? The list goes on and on. This is simply put. When a person gets saved, that's exciting, isn't it? Isn't that exciting? You lead a person to Christ and go, wow, I had an opportunity to lead somebody to Christ today. How exciting! But you know what's even more exciting than that? When you have an opportunity to disciple that person who had received Christ. how they're growing. It's incredible to see what God's doing in them. Man, they're on fire for the Lord. They're excited. They're growing in the Word of God. They're, man, that's even more exciting than leading them to Christ. But you know what's even more exciting than that? Can there be anything more exciting? What's even more exciting than that? Is that when that person you led to Christ, and then that person you discipled, goes and comes back to you one day and says, you know what? Hey, Greg, I had an opportunity to lead somebody to Christ. And I'm discipling them. I'm actually, you know, and that's the most exciting thing. Have you ever seen somebody go through that whole process? You led them to Christ. You disciple them. And then they started doing what you instructed them to do. That's discipleship. That's why we're commanded to go out and make disciples because the compound uh, numbers really go when you make disciples because then that person goes out and tells more people than this person. The work would already be done if the church was doing that. Paul says you need to find faithful brethren. I looked up that word faithful in Scripture and found a few names. You'd think you'd find a lot more in Scripture. Paul says in Colossians 1.7, he says a man by the name of Epaphras, he was a dear fellow servant, who is a faithful minister of Christ. In uh, Colossians 4.7, Tychicus, he's a beloved brother and a faithful minister and also a fellow servant of the Lord. Onesimus, in Colossians 4.9, a faithful and beloved brethren. 1 Corinthians 4.2, uh, moreover, it is required in stewards that they be found faithful. And 1 Corinthians 4.17, for this reason I sent Timothy to you who is my beloved and faithful son in the Lord. Not a lot. Find faithful men and women that you can pass this on to. Passing on things that we have learned is what's important for the generation under us. Verse 3, You therefore, my son Timothy, endure hardship as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. No one engaged in warfare entangles himself with the affairs of his life that he may please him who enlisted him as a soldier. The good soldier Paul is describing here is a soldier who is engaged. Think of soldiers. Think of what they look like when they're all dressed for warfare. They're engaged. They're ready to engage in battle. It's a person that's in active duty. A soldier, somebody that is in active duty. It's someone that's prepared to go to battle and not only to go to battle but to remain in the battle not to run from the battle but to remain in it and that's quite the contrast from a soldier that might be sitting back in the barracks you know some of us might be sitting back in the barracks we're not engaged we wouldn't fall under this heading of a of a good soldier of Jesus Christ we're kind of back at the barracks you know, maybe shining boots or something. While the, while the men are out there engaged in battle. We need to find faithful soldiers. Because the work is hard. The ministry's hard. That will engage in the work. That will be willing to, to get dirty and tired. To come up against the spiritual warfare. You see, a good soldier is a person who has counted the cost. He knows ministry is a battle. And, and they're willing to take the risks. That's a good soldier. You see, these are not just pictures and words that Paul is giving Timothy just because he likes to give some fancy little picture. He's telling Timothy, Timothy, this is real warfare. You're a soldier of Jesus Christ. You're called to this ministry. And not just you, Timothy, but everyone that names the name of Christ. A good soldier is one who is focused. He's not distracted by the affairs of this life. You see, many things can sidetrack us as Christians. Our enemy wins when he is able to get you out of the battle. He wins. Oh, yeah, I used to be hard into it, man. I was just serving, doing everything I could for the lo- glory of God, man. I was engaged. And then I got out of the battle. I got distracted with the, the things of life, the affairs of this life, as he puts it. You see, some of us, it's as simple as saying, I can't do anything on Saturday. I get home from work, I'm beat, man. I'm I'm in bed by 8 o'clock. I can't do anything on set. I I gotta mow my lawn. You know, I I gotta wash the cars. I mean, I I gotta get this stuff done. And we do. We work 40 hours a week and we're tired, and we, you know, we do, but we should be engaged 40 hours a week at work. We should be engaged when we're mowing our lawn. When we're washing our car. But with that said, we could also say, you know what? Sometimes because something's going on that I need to engage in for the furtherance of the Gospel, I need to not mow my lawn. I mean, I've been out on mowing my lawn with the headlights on on my ride on. I'm doing it at night time because I didn't have enough time in the day to get it done. And I don't like paying to go to a car wash, but I go to a car wash because I don't want to spend two hours washing two cars out of my driveway. So I spend the money so it free. You know what I mean? To me, it's not getting too consumed with the things that'll pull us away from what we're called to do as Christians. This is not a legalistic thing, by the way. So don't go, don't get all weird on this. I'm just simply stating that it's a matter of priorities that we would do this. I think if we were to count the hours that we spend doing things for ourselves, for our own little world that we're in at times, we'd probably find out that there's very little time for the service of the Lord. It's why we're all on that, you know, hamster wheel. I keep saying that. We just, you know, we keep going, 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 man. Cell phones have just messed us up, man. We got texting and messages coming in, man. We just feel like we're on, a, on that wheel each week. No time for the Lord. You see, a good soldier is one who wants to please the one who has enlisted him. That's his, that's his I want to please the one that put me into this position as a soldier. Verse 5 says, also, if anyone competes in athletics, he is crowned, he is not, excuse me, crowned unless he competes according to the rules. So, what are the rules or the disciplines of an athlete? Athletes generally are self disciplined people. In the spiritual sense, they know that unless they compete according to the rules, they're not going to get a reward. They're not going to win the prize unless they do it according to what the rules are for the athletic event that they're in. In a spiritual sense, we should know that unless we compete according to God's way, unless we do things God's way, not our way, but God's way, there's no reward. God doesn't just say, you know what, hey, you got some great ideas. Why don't you just go out and exercise all your ideas how we're going to get this thing done? You know, he doesn't just put that into our camp and say, you know, you go do it your way. I got my way that I prescribed you, but you might have a better way. No, his way is the right way, it's the only way, it's how we need to do it. We need to engage in athletics according to the rules that God has prescribed. Go into all the world and make disciples baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you even to the end of the age. Simply put. Paul also likens the work of ministry to a hard-working farmer. We all like farmers, don't we? And we're close to being done. The hard-working farmer must be first to partake of the crops. I like that. Hardworking farmer. Paul says saying that ministry requires what? Hard work. Ministry is hard. It requires hard work like a hardworking farmer who gets up early in the morning before the sun rises and goes You know, and works all day to the going down of the sun. We respect people like that. Man, that's a hard worker. How about for the gospel's sake? How about for the kingdom to work that diligently and that hard? Paul is telling Timothy, Timothy, ministry is hard. It's like a hard working farmer. But he's also telling Timothy, Timothy the farmer must first labor hard. Before he's able to see a crop come forth, before he's able to partake of the blessing of that crop, what does he have to do? Work hard. He has to be diligent in preparing and doing everything to get the soil prepared. To get it conditioned. To go out and till the ground. To go out and scatter the seed. To do all those things that are part of the Gospel and the furtherance of the Gospel. And that process takes time. Up early in the morning, late, and it's day in and day out, laboring as a a farmer. It takes resources to do it. It takes hard work. It takes time. And then the crop comes. Well, there's the crop. There's the fruit. Now I'm beginning to see that all of this hard work, that it was worth it. I'm seeing lives changed. I'm seeing people get saved. I'm seeing people stirred for the Gospel. That's the fruit of that hardworking farmer. In closing, Paul finishes He says in verse 7, look at your Bibles, consider what I say. And may the Lord give you understanding in all things. You know what that is to me? That's like a New Testament say law. In other words, Timothy, I want you to sit and ponder what I just said to you in these three examples. Just sit and consider them. Because you're going to come up with a whole lot more than what I just said here. When you consider these things. And may the Lord give you understanding in what I'm saying, Timothy, in all of these things. The soldier pleases the one who enlisted him. The athlete receives the crown or the reward. The farmer receives the fruit of the crop. That's what we're all called to do. May God's grace enable us to fulfill, to do what God has called us to do. And so, let's have the worship team come up and close us in a song. If you're here and you're in need of prayer today, please come up. Someone will be up here afterwards to pray with you. Maybe you need this morning in this last worship song to say, God, give me a fresh dose of this grace. Renew this grace, this, this whole mindset of grace in my life. God, I'm tired of working hard in my own strength. I want to I do it by Your enabling grace so that it will be fulfilling in my life. I'll, I'll be able to say You did it and I didn't do it. That's what God wants to do in all of us. May the Lord bless each one of you this week. May the Lord give you opportunity to take steps of faith and to step out in grace and see if the Lord won't use you to open your mouth for Him. Let's all stand. Father, we do lift up Lord This message, I pray, Lord, that You would work it into our hearts. I pray that You would fill us afresh with Your Spirit. Empower us, lead us, and guide us this week, Lord. We thank You for it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's worship.